0: So we're sitting here in the last Friday of August 2020, and uh, you're preparing your mind to uh, relay to the people out there in listening land and watching land what you've been doing this week. Vis-a-vis, you're writing on thisiscommonsense.org. So what have you got going?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I was about to tell them about the lawn and how I had mowed and, and different things like that, but you're talking about politics. You know, um, I was just thinking today, that next week will be this kind of eerie week we've had the democratic convention which you know i have to say you know maybe i'm kind of a naive uh, doofus guy or something but i'd like watching these conventions and i don't you know it's not like i watch gavel to gavel but i you know, when I was eight years old, I moved to Arkansas from uh, New Jersey. This is my life story. It should just take a couple seconds. No, but I, I, I moved. I was eight years old. It was the middle of the summer of 68. And so we get to Arkansas, and it's, you know, a zillion degrees, and we don't see anybody out. And, and, uh, and our family's fairly political, and we watched the entirety of the Republican convention, and we watched the entirety of the Democratic convention. Of course, that was a pretty historic, uh, Democratic National uh, Convention, and um, and with the, all the riots and police brutalities and so on in Chicago, uh, and that was back when conventions kind of, like, you felt like something might actually happen there other than an infomercial, and so last week we had the Democratic Convention. I, I watched very little, almost everything I watched, I watched after the fact on YouTube or wherever, and... And I, I don't know, I just didn't get the feel, you know, it's uh, um, and and then the Republican convention, I, I you know, I, I was interested in a few of the speakers and but I still haven't really caught up on it. And and of course, I've known, you know, for for decades, really, that the conventions, nothing's going to happen there, really. They don't they don't allow real deliberation and a democratic process to really unfold there. It's all kind of fixed by that time. Usually. And um, and so it's it's uh, it kind of feels like, you know, we went through these conventions, but they were um, so obviously what they've been for a long time, which is infomercials. And of course, um, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of complaints you could make about Trump as president, but as a fireworks expert, there is nobody. I'd rather have than Donald Trump. I don't know if people watched uh, after his speech last night, but I happened to be watching that part of it. And and my wife and I were trying to figure out, are they just replaying it over and over again? Or is this like the longest, most amazing fireworks show ever in in history? And, and I like fireworks, but my goodness, this was like beyond anything you'd ever seen. And, uh, Washington Memorial or, or monument in the in the uh, background, and it was amazing. Anyway, we've had both conventions. I don't think there's going to be much of any political bounce because it's, it's just we're in a different place, and and they weren't very exciting, really. And now we're going to have a week of no convention. We'll probably have some good riots and looting, maybe, uh, you know, maybe police will open fire on a few more people. But there's not going to be the political conventions, and then all of a sudden it's Labor Day, and off we go to Election Day, and um, and you know you just don't know what is going to happen. It would not be surprising to be surprised about five or six different times, and and maybe that's the lead up to our first commentary of the week, which was Biden's big lie. Because you know, part of the reason that things are so in flux and nobody knows what to expect next is that we're not dealing with truth; we're dealing with all kinds of shades of falsehood. And of course, you know, if if uh, uh, if you're not a fan of the president, uh, he's lied. You know, you've calculated every lie, and and I'm sure he has lied. Uh, but it's you know you you calculate every little misstatement as as a lie, and uh, And so there's that. But it dawned on me listening to Biden's acceptance speech, and it really it mirrored his original announcement speech many, many months ago, was predicated on saving the country from racist President Donald J. Trump. And the reason that Biden knows that Trump is a racist is because he said there were good neo-Nazis, there were good white supremacists, there were very fine people who were on the side of the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis. And, of course, if, if that were true, it would be some damning evidence on President Trump, but it's not true. And it just, it, you know, we have all this media apparatus. We have all these universities turning out people who can think critically. We've got people who are more engaged in politics for good or for ill. And I think it may be for ill than ever before. It seems like. And the truth just escapes and the big lie works and here's here's uh, and and here's a, a good i think case in point um so i i hear this and i think now wait a second um i've never thought this is true about what trump said about charlottesville i thought at the time it was clear that they're twisting this uh and so, but, but, I wanted to document it, of course, because I'm writing a commentary, and I just can't you know i I would like to always shoot from the hip, but I actually try to be competent every once in a while for you. and uh, and so i'm I bet I spent three hours, four hours over the course of two days looking at videos and articles and different things to try to determine who said what, when, how Trump had originally stated it, how he stated it later. And basically, uh, the only time he used the term, very fine people, he sandwiched it in between, making it absolutely crystal clear that he's not talking about white supremacists, he's talking about people who don't want statutes torn down. And you can agree or disagree with those people, but you don't have to be a white supremacist or a neo-Nazi to have, you know, had a grandfather who fought or a great grandfather. I guess now I'd have to be great, 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 great grandfather. Whatever it is, you could think, geez, this is just history. Um, You know, I have to say personally, I almost could care less. I don't like the idea of just tearing down statues all the time and, you know, recreating the world every minute in in somebody else's new image, um, or having to pay for any of that. I mean, I think we have too many statues as it is. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm not wed to any of these Civil War statues, and I'm not, you know, it just seems to me that that this is the height of kind of silliness. There's a lot of serious problems, and I don't mean to say that there's no importance to this because it is important to people, and therefore it's it's got some importance. But we've got bigger fish to fry in this world than whether you know colonel Gillespie's you know who nobody knew of anyway is sitting on a horse outside some some uh uh courthouse. The reality is there are good people on both sides of the statue issue. there aren't a whole lot of good people who are mixed up in white supremacism or neo nazism. Or frankly, there aren't a whole lot of good people messed up in, uh, in Antifa and, uh, and Marxist revolution and so on. So not that occasionally some good people don't get mixed up in those things, but <laughs> by and large, no. And, and what was interesting is uh, Thomas Knapp, who is a friend of mine, um, libertarian uh, fellow, good guy, smart guy, um, he objected to what I had to say. And a lot of times, you know, and I appreciate it. Uh, Tom, if you're listening, I appreciate it because he holds me to account. And of course, I like to think I'm right more than I'm wrong. Ha ha ha, Tom. But but you know, it's good. It's great to have that. But I think here I was right. And I wanna I want to talk about what he said and, and my response because again. It should not be this difficult for people to find out what was actually said or not said and when it was said. And I think the difficulty is not in my head. It's not in uh, Thomas Knapp's head. It's not in the public's heads. It is in a political class that is expert at spin and a media that has decided to join sides and play that same game, and it's just, it's, it just, every time I think about it, I, I get a little sicker, it's just, it's a really, I think we're in a, what I hope is a very unique time, but a dangerous time, because the partisanship, and the corruption of politics, and I'm not talking about criminal corruption, although there's some of that too, uh, but the intellectual corruption, and the win at all costs, and the, uh, let's tell them a lie because we can't really trust them to make the right decision if we give them the facts. That uh, invades our politics, and it has invaded our media watchdog on politics. So now we need a watchdog for the watchdog for the watchdog. So, but Thomas Knapp took uh, exception because I said it was unequivocal that what Trump said, and and I guess first uh, I'll, I'll just read quickly. I think everybody's. You know, heard this in one version or another, but but that's part of the problem uh, is that they've heard it in in different versions, and um, so I'm trying to find my little note here where the heck it is that he said it. Um, uh, but the president, he, here's exactly what he said. I found it. How do you like that? And you had some very bad people in that group, the president explained to a reporter, and he was talking about uh, the neo-Nazis who had come to demonstrate in Charlottesville. He had earlier talked about bad people on both sides, which is also true. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group who were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. Trump then asked and I think this is he kind of saw where things were going he mentioned that George Washington was a slave owner and asked the reporters um, who, who might have seemed to him like they were enemies throwing questions at him that they were on the other side because he was sensitive uh, are we going to take down statues to George Washington and I think we all know that if we're having this discussion about taking down Confederate you know, colonels and generals and so on uh, who fought in a war um, to, you know, that, that determined what slavery, whether there's going to be slavery. Certainly someone who owns slaves, you know, that's kind of the, that was the problem. We got a bunch of presidents who did anyway, he goes on to say, it's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture and you had people and then he Clarifies, and I'm not talking about neo-Nazis and white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. And I said to that, quote, unequivocal. And Knapp says, sure, if you ignore the fact that he called the Nazis, quote, fine people one day and didn't change his story until he was called on it the next day. The people trying to put over the Charlottesville hoax hoax, meaning we're calling it a hoax, but that's a hoax. So many hoaxes in this world, it's a great word. Uh, Pretend that the two opposing statements took place in line, that the second was an immediate and unprompted clarification of the first. In fact, the second was a later attempt to weasel out of the implications of the first. It's disappointing to find Paul, that's me, either among the Charlottesville hoax hoaxers or fooled by them. Now, I don't really like to be fooled, but if I ever do anything wrong, it was because I was fooled, not because I'm a bad guy. Uh, I, like, I like to be foolish better than bad. But here's the thing. Now, this is right after I spent all this time trying to figure this out myself, and I, I thought I already knew, and I, I, my recollection of it was fairly correct. So I pointed out that I'd, I'd put a link into it. You can see the full thing. And his, his it wasn't a correction, but his clarification that he's not talking about them came in real time. If you go to thisiscommonsense.org and you go to Biden's big lie, you will see that link and be able to see it yourself. And it's in living color. It's right there. Uh, and it's in real time. But I think what fooled... Uh, Tom, and again with 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 a cast of thousands spinning this as trump not not saying it good enough and this and that, and he's a racist and so on, but the day before Trump had said that there were basically uh, he condemned bigotry and violence on many sides, violence on many sides in quotes. Bigotry was also something you mentioned. And people didn't like that because, and of course, Trump is trying to call out Antifa. And, and let's, just, let's just take a tangent point here. We wrote about Antifa some time ago when they were beating people up in Berkeley, California, and preventing speakers and burning, causing seventy or $100,000 worth of damage on the campus and so on. There has been, it just seems to me, maybe I'm jaded, but I don't think so, and I think that there has been a tremendous resistance to calling out Antifa. You know, I remember, and we did a commentary, I don't know, remember the name of it, uh, but again, if you go to thisiscommonsense.org and use the search function, who knows, uh, it's Robert Wright, and I remember when he came out he was on CNN or somewhere and he says well this wasn't this wasn't Berkeley students these were agitators from somewhere else which of course you know there's 24,000 students on the Berkeley campus so how he would know that but of course then in doing a little research I find out that days later there are letters published in the Berkeley student newspaper of students claiming they were there and claiming they did all kinds of things to stop and silence uh, 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 Milo uh, Yiannopoulos.
0: Milo Yiannopoulos, yeah. Yeah. And Ben Shapiro was in the mix at some point too. I don't remember which one.
1: He was, I think he was later maybe. Well,
0: he's been been around.
1: But he's had the same problem. And of course, it's not unique to Berkeley and so on. But in all these cases, there is a reluctance to call out people Somehow because of their politics, and I wouldn't be shocked to find there's a reluctance on the right to call out somebody on the right, but you and me and and you know, and a dog named Boo and, and everybody else, we don't have to play that game. We can call it all out, and it is, it's dangerous. Again, and I, I'm criticizing the media because I think this is the low point of the fourth estate in the United States of America. But they have been weak in calling out Antifa because they're too busy trying to decide who they like better, Antifa or Milo. And you know what? Your audience, your readers, your listeners, your viewers, they just want to know the facts. Stop worrying about what you think so much and tell us what is happening. Truthfully, be nice. Anyway, uh, I, I do think that This bodes very poorly for this campaign. Uh, You're going to see, I think, all kinds of people blocked from speaking out, with people claiming that they're not telling the truth. Uh, And, you know, truth is a hard thing uh, to decide every day. You have some, you know, monopoly on and can determine every statement and whether it's truthful or not. And, we have um, we've really so moved away from the idea of this robust debate where all voices are heard, even some loony voices, because the truth is those loony voices, they get heard no matter what they you know, we need everybody's voice heard. That's the key. And and so I think you're going to see Facebook, Twitter you know, the social media, YouTube, all those problems, you're going to see the, I think the the news media, the major media uh, outlets, much more aggressively anti-Trump, as if that's even possible. Uh, and you're going to see the reverse of that on Fox, as if that's even possible. And, um, and, and I think that, uh, I think we're going to be you know, either Biden or Trump is going to win in November, and I I don't think it's either one. I think we're headed to a lot more trouble, uh, and that's sad. Um, I'm I have to admit I'm more scared of Biden than I am of Trump. Uh, I don't know that I would have I would have thought that in 2016 before Trump was president, and I have to admit that part of that is the fact that I know the news media will be tremendously tenacious and aggressive in the watchdog role over Trump. I have no such confidence that they will have the same tenacious outlook if the president is Joe Biden or if the president is Joe Biden for a few minutes and then uh, uh, Kamala Harris. So uh, I had to think. I, I I had to think to make sure I said her name correctly. Um, anyway, it's easy, you know, if you
0: think. But but it's hard otherwise. Um, well, that was very nice of you. All, all that's all that's very nice. Uh, I don't really look at the what the media does with Trump as a watchdog. I don't really look at what they're doing as watchdogs. I consider them to be fantasists, disinformation artists. To me, they're wholly owned subsidiaries of the CIA by this point. Uh, I'm not saying that they are owned, but they have they sold their minds to that mindset. So i i, I don't I don't look well, at them as watchdogs at all anymore.
1: Well, and and they're not they're not playing that role, uh, but but they they do function as that in the sense that. Trump does have to worry that anything he does is going to be known and publicized, and of course that that has a uh, uh, effect deterring bad behavior that I think the next president and the president before Trump didn't have that check. Now uh, they, you know, I, I think the media, you know, well they were fluffing uh, Obama's pillows and and so on the famous uh, Saturday Night skit, which was darn accurate. And then, uh, and then they get Trump and it's, you know, off the charts. And I'm afraid they will go back to doing no such uh, uh, role. The The problem is, you know, I don't like the narrative that the New York Times has or the Washington Post has. I like the narrative, for instance, uh, I get the Epic Times now. I like their narrative. But they all have a narrative. And you have to be careful when media has a narrative. When they have a narrative, they're not providing news in a journalistically objective fashion. They're just not. And you know, we could question whether people are even capable of being totally objective, but they're not trying. And uh, and and so I think we have to. I think we have to recognize that. And the problem is also that you can have a little bit of a narrative. And still be functioning in a journalistic way, but over time that that tends to the narrative takes over, and especially when you get your nose out of joint, because Trump has attacked. Like I remember in 2016, um, I'm going to forget the guy's name. In uh, Larry uh, Sabato, uh, who's a, a political science professor at the University of Virginia. Uh, I think it's Larry. I could have his first name wrong. If it is, I'm, if I do, I'm sorry. But uh, Sabato, uh, S-A-B-A-T-O uh, S A B A T O, is a well-known political science professor and so on. And they were talking. This was during the 2016 campaign, I believe. I did a commentary on it. Again, you can go to thisiscommonsense.org and in the search function, uh, put Sabato in, and you'll you'll find this. But he argued, look, the media has always been Liberal, pro-democrat. They've always slanted against the Republicans. And I thought that was so kind of straightforward and honest and true. Um, But they have slanted so much more than I think they ever had. And part of it is that Trump has attacked them. Republicans have kind of always taken it. And moved on. They, they realized, look, I don't buy ink by the barrel. I don't want to be attacking the media all the time. And, uh, and so, you know, they didn't. And Trump has made a frontal assault on the media. And I think there are times where he's attacked them for things that they were, they, that were true and that maybe he didn't like being printed and i think there are clearly times that he has attacked them for things they have printed that turned out not to be true so there's some blame on both sides there but it's 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 just the sort of thing that it has become personal i think between the media and trump and that's not good that's not that's not how we want the media to be i have to say that the the first script was about Biden and whether our president is a neo-Nazi. The second script, we just went straight to the neo-Nazi, <laughs> who happens who happens to be a Democrat, or I should say, he's not he's not a Democrat. He's going to vote for the Democrats. And I guess uh, this is very funny to us, but maybe we should explain to our studio audience and all the people out there in America uh, that. That basically Dinesh D'Souza uh, uh, got kind of tickled because, you know, I I don't know uh, if we discussed it before, but back in 2016, uh, somebody with the Ku Klux Klan came out and endorsed uh, Trump. David Duke endorsed Trump, I believe. Uh, David Duke was with the White People's Party and so on. and um, it was almost became governor of of uh, Louisiana many, many years ago in the 90s when someone came out with a bumper sticker that said, vote for the crook, meaning Edwin, Edwin Edwards, it's important uh, in order to defeat David Duke. But anyway, I digress. We also had, of course, the Communist Party that came out and endorsed Hillary Clinton last, uh, last election. Now, you probably didn't hear about the Communist Party because I didn't get nearly as much press. But the, the KKK and others got a lot of press with Trump. Well, Richard Spencer is an alt-right kind of um, neo-Nazi type guy. And he's kind of of the David Duke model, you know, wear a suit, talk intelligently, and be a fascist. And, and so he, um, uh, he came out and said he was endorsing Joe Biden and was going to vote for Joe Biden. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, socialism, whether it's national socialism, which was Nazism or fascism, or it's, you know, the more communist (laughs) variety of socialism, it's the government either owning or controlling the means of production. It is the antithesis of the private ownership of the means of production in what might be called a free market or free market capitalism. Now, state capitalism is kind of uh, uh, the the new model is China, where there's private ownership until the government tells you they'd like it delivered to them today. Uh, And so, you know, there's all kinds of different things. But so it's not shocking uh, that Richard Spencer is not you know, not repelled by big government socialism or big government Bidenism. Uh, But he argued, and I thought this was pretty humorous, that the reason he supports uh, Biden is because of competence. The Democrats are more competent. And um, boy, I'll tell you, to just think about somebody trying to determine whether the Republican politicians or the Democratic politicians are more competent, because that's not a word that I would ever associate with either one. I mean, it's just such a joke. Uh, And I I point out in this that, of course, no matter how much you think uh, Trump has messed up the pandemic response, and oftentimes by not being more authoritarian uh, and big government about it, but surely that doesn't make the, the Democrats competent because of course, you know, preparing for the pandemic was not very well done. Uh, and again, that shocked some people, sure didn't shock me, Tim, I don't think it shocked you one iota that they're not prepared. The truth is it's tough to prepare for things that don't happen very often. People just aren't very good at that. And government is bad at preparing for anything. Government is spending the money that, that will be made six months from now already, or the money that will be made, what am I saying, six months, 60 years from now, they've already spent some of that money. So um, preparing for disaster, no, they're not, they're not even prepared uh, you know, to, to do today's business today. So anyway, I, I thought it was funny. We had a, uh, uh, some chuckles that maybe the confidence is showing because this time uh, they've pulled an alt-right uh, uh, superstar, I use that word <laughs> ill-advisedly, uh, named Richard Spencer's endorsement, uh, which who does that help? Uh, it's got to help the Republicans
0: what We didn't mention the title of the piece. Uh, oh, that's, uh what is the title of the piece? Voting like a neo-Nazi. That's for yes. Tuesday. Yes. And Wednesday's was, it's never too late to prep. So now you've gone from neo-Nazis to the world is ending. Well, and in this view that
1: that somehow anybody who actually prepares is a terrible rotten person. Um, which is tied to this, because this is all about that, you know, there are hoarders and that if you are hoarding stuff or buying up supplies uh, any more than you need, you're a terrible, rotten person. But of course, nobody is more popular in a pandemic or any disaster than the person who has purchased and secured uh, they don't have to purchase, but just secured materials that we all need, especially if they're willing to give or sell them to us for a price we can afford. And we we get so much of this uh, anti-hoarding and price gouging and all that type of stuff. But you know, the reality is we can all prepare for all these things, or sometimes we don't prepare. And boy, that can be an absolute life-ending disaster. So when we have, and, and look, it's not easy. I didn't know there was gonna be a pandemic this year. Um, I didn't know a lot of things that were, were gonna happen. I didn't know that you know the, a tree was gonna fall and we we're gonna to have to pay to get it taken out. All kinds of things happen. You can't prepare for all of them. But to not be prepared when mother nature or something else happens that is disastrous, and then to somehow hold it against the people who did prepare, and who not only prepared for them, but are ready to sell you what you need now when you're in this crisis and otherwise don't have it. That's called envy and jealousy. It is is not pretty. And, and more and more, you see that enabled. And you see, it's sort of a, I deserve everything handed to me. As if not only were you supposed to secure all these things I need now that this disaster has hit and I was clueless about it, but you're supposed to then just give them to me free. As if your life didn't matter, as if all the work you did to think ahead should just be dashed and I ought to get whatever I want right now. And, you know, look, uh, that tends to then lead to thinking, well, we need somebody who's powerful who can make sure that we have all the stuff we need, and that's big government and if you want that sort of that sort of society, they're all over the world, um, various degrees, but if you're looking for a society in which the powerful from on high make the decisions and provide you everything you need, there are Mandarin cards that you can order in the mail. There are courses all over. Even in the United States, you can take courses. I understand some of these Confucius Institutes and stuff, they will provide you Mandarin courses. You can be part of the great experiment being conducted by the Chinese Communist Party. But if you're living in the United States, you've chosen almost the and maybe you didn't chose it, choose it. Maybe you just got stuck here. But you're in like the worst possible place to decide that you want people on high to make all your decisions for you. Because we've, we've been going that opposite direction. Well, at least until this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not. But we've, we have. We've just been lonely, Tim.
0: Yeah, okay. You and yeah. I
1: have. No, uh, it, it is. Uh, this is something, we, we've talked about it before with different, you know, smaller crises and so on, um, but it's, it, it, there's two aspects of it. It's the dismissal of the hard work other people have done to think ahead, who are helping you out and acting like instead of them helping you out, they're somehow hurting you. And then there is also this idea that some magical force is supposed to take care of every little need you have, and you know, look, sometimes we all have that. We get stuck in some situation where we're thinking, Hey, is this all my fault? Somebody, you know, what happened? Why, why is this? Why, why don't didn't I see this coming? And uh, and you know, we can blame other people, but that's uh, geez, that's that's the kind of thing you do in politics, not in not in real life.
0: I was just thinking that. This reminds me of a of a bigger subject, uh, but I guess we really probably shouldn't increase the subject matter in the middle of a podcast that's already you know thirty minutes in. The next piece, the next day, is uh, about another kind of tragic situation. This time, it's not about hoarding, and it, it's, it's now we're talking about people dying. It's not even very funny anymore at, at that point.
1: No, it's not very funny at all, and. And I read this uh, piece in the Washington Post in the morning. I read the, the Post in the morning. And it started out saying that the country was being divided uh, um, over the urgency of bringing fundamental change to law enforcement. And as I want to do, I just thought, you know, I don't think that's right. Um I don't think we're being divided. I think the country is tremendous. Now, I should maybe step back. People are trying to divide us as, as best they can, including with lines like that in the, in the lead of the Washington Post story, but we're not divided. We are united. I, you see the polls, you see the the way people talk about this, people of all races, all ages, all political persuasions, they do not like police opening fire and killing people needlessly. Now, this particular case is a lot more complicated than some of them. There there is a, uh, there was an altercation and so on, but it's still, at the end of the day, I look at it and I think, I don't think the policeman was justified shooting as they did. Again, so let's investigate, let's find out, but instead of pulling us all apart, I think that's the way almost everybody feels. Now, maybe somebody says, "Oh, I have some more information. I think maybe they were you know there was some justification for what they do. People can have those discussions, but nobody is out there in favor of the police just opening fire on people. That's not where the American public is. um It's not where the Republicans are, it's not where the Democrats are, and frankly, while some politicians say crap on, on all sides, and you could argue that some Democratic politicians have certainly made it out to be, hey, these are just all peaceful protests, and you know what are you talking about? Let's ignore some of the violence that's going on. Well, violence is violence. We're against the police shooting people to death because that's wrong. We're against people burning people's stores because that's wrong. It doesn't matter what their skin color or politics is. These are, these are simple, basic things that we're united about. And, and so I kind of wanted to say that and in looking at stuff, uh, I saw the, the video of Jacob Blake's mom and dad speaking at a press conference um, and especially his, his mom Uh, I just thought was poignant, Um, very, very powerful. She took issue with the destruction that she saw on her way to the press conference. And she told people, take a moment and examine your heart. And she made the statement that she has beautiful brown skin and that everybody knows that, but asked everybody to look at their hand and she didn't know what color skin you'd have on your hand, but that it was beautiful. I like that. Very simple. And then she also made it clear that in calling for healing and calling for people to come together, that she said, quote, I am not talking to just Caucasian people. I am talking to everyone. And You know, there's been a lot of Black Lives Matter, and there was a time in which I would be glad to say Black Lives Matter because I think that there has been more discrimination that they've faced. And if that recognizes it, it should be recognized. Let's recognize reality. But of course, I would never be against All Lives Matter because that's my reality, and that should be everybody's, that all lives matter. So there never should have been an argument between the two, but of course, this is America, this is politics, there's an argument between the two. But to me, the problem with Black Lives Matter comes with the website Black Lives Matter, the actual group Black Lives Matter, that's not about in my humble opinion and in my research, is not about ending racism, is not about criminal justice reform, it's about changing our society in some liberal Marxist type vision. I'm not interested in that. I'm very interested in the other, in ending racism, but especially because that's something that, you know, you you can't be in everybody's head, you can't wipe out every thought that somebody somewhere on the planet might have but you can do all kinds of things for criminal justice reform. The country's ready for it. The country's been demanding it, really since since, uh, Michael Brown, uh, who was killed, but who actually was the guy who charged the police in that particular incident. Anyway, I thought that her comments were spot on, and I I kind of changed a little bit of where I was coming from with this commentary, just because I thought it was so important to hear her say it, um, but it you know we are going to continue to have these this play out. I think until we get some uh, consensus among media and political elites that there already is at the grassroots level, which is police brutality is wrong and we've got to find a way to stop it and burning down buildings and smashing things and destroying innocent people's property is not a solution for it. The country is there. It's there regardless of race, politics, whatever demographic you want to throw out. It's except among the politicians and among the media, which tends to want to stay with their narrative. Um, so I I think that, uh, I, I just think we're going to we we are likely to see what you and I have talked about before and and what we wrote about when it was predicted or not predicted I should say when the study of the 1968 election and the riots and the impact on Nixon's vote versus Humphrey in 1968 the impact was that those riots and that those disturbances civil unrest helped drive vote to Nixon and away from Humphrey. And of course, as you well know, Tim, and and regular listeners will know, there was a gentleman, you may remember his name, I don't, uh, but there was a gentleman who tweeted about this study and with kind of a cautionary, hey, let's be careful because this study showed, and this was not some big Trump fan, he was saying this study shows these things can be problematic. And of course, we're already hearing some reports that some of the polling in Wisconsin is showing that the race is tightening and that one of the things driving that tightening, meaning Trump is gaining and Biden is losing a little support in the polls, is the the view on Black Lives Matter and on some of the unrest. And the view, uh, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm doing this from memory so I, I could be off a little bit but it was something to the effect that a majority of Wisconsin uh respondents weeks ago had said they had a positive view of black lives matter i think it was 51 or 56% something like that and that that had dropped to 30%. so um you know and they were saying that that the one was a driver for the other in other words the more you supported black lives matter uh the more you were likely to support biden the more you were concerned about the unrest the more you were likely to
0: support trump yeah um i think that if trump wants to get elected you could almost have just one sign up everywhere and it says no to riots and yes to trump all you need is that and i think that that would probably be enough to get him elected uh because that, riots aren't popular you know protests are often kind of popular for a while but riots aren't popular
1: no no and it's it's uh we we've had something here and there's a little tangent too, so this podcast may be a couple a couple months long, but uh but we have had uh in Georgetown uh restaurant patrons who are eating outdoors and in one case it may have been indoors, but uh and mobs of people uh come up and demand that they say Black Lives Matter, they say Breonna Taylor, that they raise their fist or, what you know. And of course, I don't know about you, but anytime someone demands I say something or do something, I kind of have a knee-jerk position, which is no. And if that means that I'm going to get beat up or we're going to fight or whatever, then then we're going to fight. I mean, I don't know how else. uh, I'm just not fond of, you know, spending my life, you know, as a robot doing what some mob tells me to do, and it's it's despicable. It's just absolutely despicable. And there was the uh, Rand Paul uh, episode. He had police around him, and you know, had said, you know, we need to arrest these people who are threatening people, and. And uh suggested that maybe they were being funded to be there, and so on, you know, wouldn't wouldn't shock me. Uh, but and then some people say, well, he really wasn't roughed up. Someone pushed a policeman who nearly fell over and bumped into him, but he wasn't personally attacked, although the reports were that they were saying, uh, provocative things like maybe we'll beat the hell out of you or whatever, I, you know, uh, threatening type things. That's an assault. And, and we can kind of say, oh, well, it wasn't, you know, no one actually smashed him in the face. Okay, <laughs> that's nice of him. But we don't want to live in that society. We don't want to go out to dinner and to be harassed. We don't. I don't want even people whose politics I completely disdain, to be harassed by people in public and treated meanly or pushed or threatened. Whether you don't touch them at all, but just threaten them, that's not the world we want. And uh, and it's it's uh, boy, I, I can't think of anything that's fright- more frightening. It 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 brings back not memories since I'm not quite that old, but it, it brings back. Uh, you know, a, a bit of history with the Weimar Republic and the, the this whole idea that how does how does something like fascism or communism take root? Well, it takes root because you're choosing it over the alternative, which is usually fascism or communism. so far when when those are the two choices, the decision has been terrible every time and uh, and we have to do something. To to make it to where those aren't our choices. And I think the key is for us, the people, as a collective body, with individuals taking actions to make it so, to be in more control. So everything isn't dictated by a media elite and a political elite. It brings us to our last uh, Friday's uh, commentary, the devil is in the seat cushion. And uh, we're talking here about uh, Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, so often when Trump does something, there's talk about, well, that's unconstitutional or whatever. Or that's illegal. And it turns out, well, no, it, it is actually technically legal because Congress gave the president every known power uh, anytime he wants to use it and stuff like that. But but um, we find out that maybe it's not. But then, But then the fallback is, Well, it's destroying norms. It goes against the norms of behavior in the office and so on. Well, one of the norms in a democratic society is that you have elections and when two people are running for a seat, they debate each other so that the public can see them both arguing things and In case one of them says something that isn't quite right, the other can come in and and you see how good they are at interacting and thinking on their feet and all those kind of good things. That is the norm. And it's a norm that we ought to hold tight to. I don't think we can force anyone to debate. I don't want to amend the constitution. I don't want to pass a law. I just want the American people, wherever you are on the spectrum, to say, my guy is going to debate because otherwise I'm not voting for him. Simple as that. They all debate then. However, all we have heard this time and, and Joe Biden, to his credit has not uttered any of these words. He has said he's up for three debates. That's the number that was agreed upon. He's not willing to do more, but he'll do three. We'll see because Every other Democrat seems to just can't help themselves but say that there needs to be no debates. Hillary Clinton has said it several times. Now, Nancy Pelosi, in a kind of ham-handed way, comes out and and you know tells the press, don't tell Joe Biden, but I don't think he ought to debate. Well, I get it. I get it. The Democrats don't think Joe Biden should debate. He probably shouldn't debate because I don't think he's going to do very well. And I don't think Trump is the greatest debater ever, but Trump can, you know, think on his feet and can respond on his feet, and I don't think Joe Biden is very good at that. Now there have been some some interactions, some speeches he's given where it seems like he's, you know, he's gotten all the words right, he's stayed on message, he hasn't said anything, you know, uh, off, hasn't made a gaffe, but that's different than a debate and the debates are, I think, a real challenge for him. And I think it's interesting that in all the talk about, you know, that Trump is destroying norms, that the Democrats are ready to jettison the idea that there should be presidential debates. Um, it's it's a, It also kind of points out the 800-pound gorilla in the room. We had an election in 2016 in which both candidates had Over 50% negatives. A majority of the country did not like Hillary Clinton. A majority of the country did not like Donald Trump. And yet we had to choose between those two. Now we have Trump as president. Some people have said, hey, he didn't do such a bad job. Other people have said, we've seen him. He's horrible. He's terrible. I'd vote for almost anybody else. And who do we get? We get someone who... I think there are some real issues about whether he is physically up to the job. And we get someone who, frankly, had run several other times and had gotten nowhere, partly because of plagiarism and different gaffes, partly because he's just not a very compelling candidate. And yet, when it looked like Bernie Sanders was not stoppable in getting the nomination, And even though they all seem to endorse all of his policy positions, can't wait to embrace his policy positions, they can't stand the idea that someone who had the socialist label would be running for office and have to speak to that because I think they know he would lose. And so in a way that I've never, I've just never seen the wagon circle as quickly as they did Just, it seemed like overnight you had multiple Democratic candidates hop out and endorse Joe Biden. And the only candidate who you would have expected to hop out, Elizabeth Warren, because she was, she had, you know, they do polls, they know these things going in. She knew she was gonna get her clock cleaned in Massachusetts, her home state. She didn't just lose, she came in third, third in her home state. So knowing that, why wouldn't she get out? Because if she got out, her votes would go to Bernie Sanders. So she stayed in while everyone else stayed out. Now, do I have all this on tape? No, I'm just saying this is how I see it. Could be right, could be wrong, I'm right. It's obvious. And uh, and so, you know, that's, it, it's almost unbelievable. Circling the wagons around a candidate because he didn't have the negatives with the idea that we will just all try to protect him from having to answer questions or run a campaign. And of course, this is the year to run if you don't wanna have to run much of a campaign because you can't run much of a campaign. So um, boy, real life is stranger than any fiction. And uh, I think we're in for a very interesting next 10
0: weeks. Thank you for joining us at This Week in Common Sense, the podcast where Paul Jacob talks about the big stories of the week that have appeared on his website, thisiscommonsense.org, where he's been writing commentary since 1999. My name is Timothy Verkula. You can find me at locofoco.us, locofoco.net, and at workman.com, that's workman with an i 90 no Paul Jacob can be found at libertyifund.org, citizensincharge.org, and, of course, at thisiscommonsense.org. That's a lot of orgs. This podcast is hosted at SoundCloud and can be accessed via podcatchers such as Apples, Googles, and Stitcher. It is, of course, viewable on YouTube. Come back next weekend. And for the week, go to thisiscommonsense.org.